Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm not Ryan Abraham. He's off in Hawaii enjoying paradise at the Poly Bowl. No, this is a classic Helium Boys takeover with Chris Trevino and my partner in crime today. That's right. That's Shotgun Spratling. We're here for a very special episode of the Peristyle Podcast where we are reacting to USC's newly released 2023 football schedule. Just came out maybe 40 minutes ago. We're hopping on here do a podcast and react to this very intriguing schedule in year two of Lincoln Riley. Shotgun, glad to have you on here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, it's interesting that uh, I'm your podcast and uh, partner in crime today. You, you say that a lot, it seems like. Every podcast I hear you on, you have a partner in crime. Yeah, I mean, typically Gerard is my one A1, one A podcasting partner in crime just because i do it with him every week and the composite two star recruits but you are my original partner in crime let's 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 be clear with that you know you and i helium boys started out this is how this whole thing started out with this uh this podcasting thing i've been doing uh since the pandemic so you've been the ride or die from from day one breaking him out of his shell look at him now he's he's often often on his own uh you know making podcast partners in crime all over the place before we jump into this schedule reaction, and I think we're going to try to go through the games one by one as quickly as possible. I know that's a tall task for Mr. Shotgun Spratling. You could probably whoa, do whoa, whoa. three hours on the intricacies of San Jose State and Nevada back to back, but we're going to try to run through that as quickly as possible. We're going to give some superlatives for the schedule as well as just giving our first gut reaction to looking at this schedule. But before we do all that, we do need to thank our sponsor for the Parastyle Podcast, the home pod of usefull.com. That is the great Trader Joe's. Now, Ryan usually has some web the website pulled up with a bunch of different things that he that he bought that previous week. But that's not me. Me, no, I recently was gifted a $50 gift card to Trader Joe's. So I just went crazy in there, shotgun. I just went there. I got my <laughs> girlfriend. We're like, all right, we're going and we're gonna spend like an hour in here. I'm just going to buy whatever I want with this gift card. And that's what I did. Obviously, I bought the orange chicken, but I bought some new things I'm not used to to typically getting. I wanted to try new things. I bought the chicken meatballs. I bought the oat milk vegan chocolate ice cream sandwiches. I bought a bunch of those prepackaged raviolis. They were delicious. Some tortellini. So I just went ham and bought a whole bunch of stuff that I've never tried before. All super cheap, too. Like I got a lot of stuff for just over 50 bucks using my gift card, you know, with inflation these days. Everything super pretty cheap at Trader Joe's relative to your other supermarkets. So it was a great value buy and I got a lot of cool stuff to try and I'm excited to maybe have some favorites from Trader Joe's in the near future. So thank you to Trader Joe's. Shotgun, you look like you want to add something here. I have to say that I will be stocking up on the rolled tortilla chips, the chili lime ones. Uh, you know, I was introduced to those from the tailgate, actually. They supplied some for the tailgate. 
And I, every time I stop by Ryan Abraham's house, I happen to sneak a bag out of, out of there uh, of those rolled tortilla chips because this this year, actually, my New Year's resolution, I've given up sugar, you know, at least added sugars yeah. in products. So I'll be looking at chips a lot for my snacks, you know, no more no more candies, no more chocolates. So it's going to be a lot of chips and different things of that kind because I unfortunately I can still not stop snacking on things. But I'll Fair be enough. stocking up on those for sure from Trader Joe's. Yeah, I believe Ryan shouted those out the last time we podcast. So they're a popular mention, popular mention on this podcast. So yeah, go pick yourself up some of those chips or whatever your heart may desire, Trader Joe's. Thank you again to Trader Joe's for being the official sponsor of the Peristyle podcast. Now, Shotgun, let's get into it. The schedule is released. 2023, 12 games, two buys, which is interesting for, for this, for Lincoln Riley's second year in the program. So Shaka, just straight reaction. Someone gets the schedule, they pin it up on the wall. You're looking at it. What's the first reaction that you have? Ooh, that, that if USC is going to make it to a college football playoff, if USC is going to even make it to the PAC 12 championship, they got their work cut out at the end of the season. That last six game stretch is a gauntlet. You go to Notre Dame, you return from that and have Utah at home. Obviously, a ton of emotion in both of those games. Get a little bit of a, a, a downtime, but it's still on the road. You go to Cal. USC lost there the last time they went to Cal. Um, so then you have the November slate of Washington at home, at Oregon, UCLA at home. I mean, it, you get some favorable matchups as far as the home games in that stretch. However, the, the two road games out of those five really difficult ones are going to be, you know, uh, monumental in the college football playoff uh, landscape. And it's just five, five really tough games in six weeks. They will get a bye week after that. And we, we, we learned that uh, was it last night, I guess it was from the John Conazaro piece, but they will have earned that bye week at that point. So if they do make it to the Pac-12 championship, it is going to be a much needed buy probably because they're going to get, beat up during that that six game stretch in particular um and the fact that you're playing nine games in a row uh, in between those two by game by weeks they do have two but you know nine in a row is a is a long stretch so it's it's going to be difficult for usc to come out on skate this this schedule much more difficult than lincoln riley's first year at usc a lot of things were scheduled or set up in usc's favor i believe on last year's schedule this year obviously adding oregon and Washington versus Oregon State and Washington State. Now, there's not as big of a separation as there was in the past with those four teams and those two pairings. However, you know, playing at Oregon, playing in Austin in November, that is going to be a big time challenge. I'm already, uh, I've already got you know the the air, airline websites pulled up. I'm looking to book my flight. I've never been to Otson for a game, so I'm definitely going to be there for that one. And uh, I think that's going to be, you know, a, a crazy atmosphere, especially at the end of the games, at the end of the season, with the way these two programs could potentially be playing for Pac-12 championship, um, Pac-12 regular season title, and then you know, standing in the Pac-12 championship as well. I hate to be unoriginal, but there are multiple times where I followed you, and we have the exact same thought, and I feel like. That holds true today, and this is a much tougher schedule than it was in 2022. That That is absolutely the feeling that I have when I look at the schedule. And we thought the end of the season was a gauntlet last season. No, this is a gauntlet. Uh, talking about that six-game stretch, and yet Cal, you know, a little bit not 
like the other teams on in this run here, but still a tough opponent. That One could of be these things is not like the other. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Yeah, sorry, Cal. Cal, you're getting you're getting a little bit <laughs> called out here, but you know, Cal has a new offensive coordinator. They're bringing in a a highly dynamic TCU transfer at quarterback. You know, Justin Wilcox, really good defensive coordinator. They should be better than they were last season. At least that is an expectation. So we'll give them a little bump in credit there. But still, just a brutal end of the season run here for USC. And it's going to be a put up or shut up kind of back half of the season. You know, the back half of last year was significantly easier outside of, you know, that Notre Dame game. But you got that at home, UCLA game, which, you know, essentially a home game here in L.A. Because you had Arizona State, you had Colorado, and you had Cal in that back half of the season. And all those teams were not very good, putting it nicely, even though, you know, Cal gave them fits in that game, which was a head scratcher. Arizona State was scrappy, but all those teams were not very good last season. So you had a little bit of that break the back half of the season. You're not getting any breaks in the back half of this game outside of maybe that Cal game. But Utah, as you said, should be a super emotional game, but you get it at home. Washington, high-powered offense, a Heisman New York trip-worthy type quarterback and Michael Penix coming back in what should be an absolutely amazing QB duel between Penix and Caleb Williams, two high-profile offense, and then you mentioned the Austin Stadium trip to Oregon, and then, you know, hosting UCLA, which was a barn burner last year in a dramatic emotional game. I would expect nothing less in their final matchup as Pac-12 foes before going to the Big Ten. So it should be a fun back half of the schedule. And Shotgun, just to throw a little personal me time in there because I need the spotlight, as you know, this will be a historic schedule for me because this will be my first time going to Notre Dame and going to Autzen. Uh Yeah, so I'll see you at both of those. That's the plan, at least. Um, but also, let's not forget, this is the farewell tour. This is yep. the final Pac-12 season for USC, for UCLA. So, you know, will USC ever play in Autzen again? I'm sure that that'll come up at some point if they are not, they don't end up being reunited in a conference in the future. However, that's going to be down the road. Like that's not going to happen for another five, six, 10, 12, 15 years, potentially that USC plays at Autzen. This is the first time they played at Autzen in, I want to say 2015, just off the top of my head. Um, I believe it's 20. 11 no that was last time they won excuse me 2011 was the last time they won in Austin yeah so it's been a while since they obviously since they've won but it's been a while since they've even been there so none of these players have any experience there except for uh you know maybe one or two transfers that have played uh in, in the Pac-12 in different places but it, it's been a while for USC to even experience that so now they got the Rice Eccles experience last year they'll get the Austin experience this year and it'll be the final road uh, Pac-12 road game for them. What a way to go out as far as the final Pac-12 road game um in, in you know for USC in their history of this conference. That place should be going absolutely bananas and so that's going to be a really tough place for USC to play. You were correct, Chuck. 2015 was the last time they played in Eugene 48-28 uh Clay Helton taking a loss to Mark Helfrich. I just remember, so, and I remember from that game, there were just some wide open coverage breakdowns in that, uh, and that USC was it was 
I think they jumped out to an early lead actually, and then just was just getting boat raced because they just, just breakdown after breakdown. I um, mean, that's that's something they're going to have to be they're going to be challenged with again this season. We'll see what that defense can do. They'll be challenged throughout the season at different points, and particularly when you go on the road in an environment like Austin Stadium. Yeah, it should be a jumping uh, Pac-12 stadium there in Austin. There should be a lot of great crowd environments on this schedule, so I'm excited to see some of those as we make our way through this final Pac-12 schedule. We got our initial reaction out, you know, basically the same thing. Super tough, gauntlet on the back half of the season. I think we should move into some superlatives. Now, we have some a bunch of different superlatives to choose from, but we narrowed it down to three, Shaka. We narrowed it down to three superlatives, uh, trap game, Toughest game, and now we know game. And we'll explain that one when we get to it. But the trap game shotgun, give me your first thought on what is the trap game for USC in this schedule. Now, I'm going to go at this a little bit unconventional. um, Because usually a trap game is a game that you say, oh, they should definitely win that game. And then, you, you know, but a team could jump up and surprise them. But I think the actual trap game on the schedule is at Notre Dame. I know it's a rivalry game. I know it's the first one for Lincoln Riley, but the emotion in this schedule is that Utah at home game after last season. Losing twice to Utah, especially the way they lost in that Pac-12 championship, I think the USC players have got that one circled on their calendar, all the returning players. So I think that you got to take care of business, especially because you're looking at, okay, now we're in this long stretch. And maybe the first one of that six-game stretch is the one where you kind of, all right, let's just get through this, and then we got to face Utah uh, before we get kind of a, a, a little bit of a, a breather with Cal um, compared to the rest of that six-game stretch. So I'm going to say that it actually isn't Notre Dame. And I know some people are going to disagree with that. Maybe you do, Chris. Uh, but that how could Notre Dame ever be a trap game on USC schedule? But I just think the emotion of the those two games against Utah last year is going to be lead to an, a very emotional uh, matchup on October 21st when Cam Rising brings the Utes into the Coliseum. So, you know, USC's got to make sure that they are completely focused, going on the road, you know, the Chicago, driving to South Bend, all those type things that happen on that trip uh, that they don't get tripped up by that uh, by looking ahead to the Utah game the next weekend. Look, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Shotgun Spratling is rarely ever wrong. But I appreciate <laughs> you true. going out of the box for this one, looking at it like this is the first game of a really tough stretch. And you're looking at the – you're probably the game you have circled the most, Utah, after those two losses. Yeah, I could see what you're saying there. But there's a chance that Notre Dame maybe is a top 15 team when this team's meet. So that would be a very interesting way to look at that trap game. Definitely. So I don't know what, what's your trap game then? What would you be looking at as the trap game on the USC schedule? I was actually going uh, particularly one game earlier for that Arizona game. I think if you boil it down to the literal definition of what a trap game is looking at it, it's either Arizona or it's California. And I just feel more strongly with the Wildcats there because it's the first game and to throw a little more mystery behind it, we don't even know which date it's going to be it's the sixth or the seventh <laughs> which you mentioned like you've never seen that before really on a game uh for for a game on a schedule this early like friday or saturday we don't know but arizona is the game that kind of marks the end of the first half of the season before usc moves into this brutal stretch so it could be like okay we just got to get through arizona that we can get our minds right for this 
we got to get our minds right for for Notre Dame going on the road there, then Utah, then Cal, then Washington. So you could very easily just go into that game like, all right, we just got to get through Arizona. We have to, you know, stay ahead. We're we're looking at Notre Dame, the big one that's going to tell us a lot about us. And you can get tripped up with these Wildcats. As we saw in Tucson last year, Arizona, super scrappy, put up a lot of points. Will they be better in year three of Jed Fish? I think they'll be a little bit better, but they have to be more consistent. You get that game at home, so that's a big boost there. But still a team that could put up points on you. And they proved that last year. They can put up points on you. You know, it's going to be up to the defense for redemption in this second time, this second matchup with the Wildcats of slowing down that quarterback place, slowing down. There's some dynamic receivers. USC did poach Dorian Singer from them. They did poach a couple more guys for them. So there'll be a little bit extra motivation in this game uh, after USC took some of those guys through the transfer portal. So I'm looking at Arizona as like a game like don't sleep on the Wildcats because I think people slept on the Wildcats last time and they uh, they scratched up USC. They scratched them up a little bit. So that's what I'm looking at as the trap game for the season. Yeah, that's the that's the other obvious pick, I think, on the schedule. Um, if you're not going a little bit out of the box like I am because you begin that gauntlet like we've talked about, you know, to, to end the season, you're back after the season being as tough as it is. You feel like, all right, we just got to get through the first half. You know, take care of business in the first half. So you're not really looking at any individual team as like, oh, this is a huge game. But Arizona continues to get better each 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 season, each week during the season. It feels like they continue to improve under Jed Fish. They're only getting more talent on that roster. Even though USC get a, got a couple of transfers from uh, from them, uh, but they have added some big time transfers. Guys like Justin Flo, obviously we know how good he could be, um, and they'll have him in the middle of a defense. They got offensive weapons all over the place. With, with Tetrora McMillan is going to continue to blossom. He's going to be a big time receiver for him this year, and and adding uh, alongside Cowing this this season. They won't have Dorian Singer. He'll be on the other side, so there'll be some storylines there as well. Uh, and the fact that, like you said, I have never seen a schedule come out in a conference game have a to be determined on the date. Like uh, what? Like you don't know what date it, it could be either a Friday game or a Saturday game. There's, you know, USC is fighting against having that Friday game. They don't want the Friday game. They would much rather have it on Saturday. I'm sure the TV would rather have that on a Friday uh, I'll go ahead and tell you, Chris, if it's on Friday, I definitely won't be there. I probably won't be at that game anyway, because I got to save up my trips for that back half of the schedule and how crazy it's going to be. But if it's a Friday game, it's going to, that's going to lend to a smaller Coliseum crowd. It's going to lend itself to less time for preparation for Arizona. And I think that all adds into the potential of a trap game because Arizona will probably be you know, saving some stuff up for USC. Hey, we were very close last year. Can we get over the hump this season against USC and get that big marquee win? They're probably looking at it and say, hey, you know, USC, this is a trap game for them. Let's make sure that we come in with some, you know, some uh some stuff specifically for USC. And maybe they even start working on some of that like in fall camp. Um, you know, those are the type of things where you look at the schedule, you kind of break down, like, all right. This could be really useful for us. This could be really good. Let's go ahead and start working on this early. We're going to save it until that time because we think that we could potentially get that big upset and you know be a program-changing type of win for Arizona because I still think that they're, they're still missing that big-time upset even though they've been really close and they've been getting much better the last couple of years under Jetfish. I think if you only made the games after Arizona, I think you would still have an incredible time covering this team because that's going to be so much fun. 
Like, right? I mean, that that final that back of the schedule is going to be is going to be a fun gauntlet for us at least. I don't know how how the USC players will be feeling about it as they get done with that six games, and you know, especially with the the physicality of some of those teams, uh, especially that that Notre Dame Utah back to back with the way those two teams beat you up potentially the the physical style. That's why that Cal game. Some people might look at that one as a trap game because you're beat up and you lose a couple of key players like we saw after the Utah game the first time, like we saw, you know, after playing Notre Dame, you know, going into the the Pac-12 championship, it takes its toll. And I think you saw a little bit of that in the back half of that Pac-12 championship game, not only with the injuries sustained during the game, but just the players were worn down after the stretch they had gone through. And I think you're going to see that towards the end of the that back half of the schedule for sure but possibly even in the middle right there when they play Cal, where you think, okay, maybe we could rest a guy up. A guy is 75%. Can we rest him this week? And you're playing with less playmakers, and maybe that becomes a trap game too. So there, there are definitely games on the schedule that you know could give a little bit more pause than you would initially on the initial reaction as you start studying the schedule a little bit more. Okay, Shotgun, we crush the trap game. It's time to move on to the toughest, probably – not it's not clear cut which game is the toughest. There are a couple options here. I'm going to let you go first and give me your toughest game on this schedule. I mean, I've mentioned it a couple times. I think going to Otson at the end um, is going to be the toughest one. You got a quarterback coming back in Bo Nix that was on the you know on the Heisman final or not finalist, but Heisman list throughout the season. You look at this schedule and the quarterbacks that are on there. The last Eight was eight games, I think it is. You look at Colorado, Shadur Sanders. A lot of people are really hyped about him coming to Colorado. Zona with Jane Delora, the troubles he gave USC last season. Notre Dame getting the Wake Forest transfer. Uh, Utah with Cam Rising coming back. Cal getting the TCU transfer. Penix, Bo Nix, and then Dante Moore at UCLA. If he wins that quarterback battle, he's going to be much better. In, in week 11 or week 12, whatever that is, than he was at the beginning of the season. So he's going to he's gonna basically be a sophomore by the time he plays USC um, if he wins that, that that QB battle. So And he is a super talented kid um, that's going to give USC trouble for the next three years at least. So I think that you're going to have a gauntlet of quarterbacks to face as well. So it, I, I, But I think the going to Oregon, the atmosphere, the final Pac-12 road game for USC – I think that all makes it the toughest one for me. And let's not sleep on Cal, Cal bringing in a dynamic high four-star prospect from TCU. Do you know his name, Shotgun? Sam Jackson, right? Sam Jackson, an incredible name uh, <laughs> just, just to add into this gauntlet of quarterbacks and teams they're facing. And yes, I initially reaction is Oregon is going to be the toughest game on the schedule. But you could also obviously talk me into Notre Dame being up there. You could even maybe talk to me into Washington being one of the top three toughest games on this schedule. It just has the lesser degree of not being on the road. If that game was on the road, it obviously would be up there and competing for that number one spot. But just because Oregon's off, excuse me, Washington's offense is so good and Michael Penix was so good last year outside of a couple spots, this could be just a true back and forth game that USC, you know, has to really dig deep to fight and win this one at home in the Coliseum. 
But just because they're on the road, you're obviously looking at Notre Dame and Oregon. And as I mentioned, I've never been to Notre Dame and I've never been to Oregon. But just knowing what I know about those fan bases, I just feel like Oregon is going to be the most hostile of the environments. It's going to it's going to feel like Oregon State felt like, but a full stadium. That's what my feeling is. And maybe I'm off, but that's just what my feeling is for this Oregon atmosphere. And that's why it's the toughest game for me looking at it. Yeah, definitely. And I, uh, the atmosphere is definitely there. Uh, you know, I, I think we're sleeping a little bit on just how tough that Notre Dame's going to be game is going to be with Sam Hartman at quarterback. We haven't seen USC face an elite quarterback at Notre Dame in a decade, basically. You know, they've gotten by with the Tommy Reese's and the Jack Cohen's and guys that can manage the game and do okay, but they haven't had an elite guy. And Sam Hartman is like is a true NFL draft pick type of guy that we haven't really seen at Notre Dame in a while. So you combine that with the way they are always able to run the ball so well, and suddenly that offense becomes that much more dynamic and their defense has always been good. This could be a really really tough Notre Dame team. I just think that he elevates that the, the potential of that offense so much that they could surprise a lot of people with that might say, you know, if they, you know, do really well, maybe even they win that Ohio State game they have coming up. I think that'll be uh, kind of telling um, because they will have a much more experienced quarterback in that game. If they can control that game, I think you start looking at Notre Dame as, you know, a, a college football playoff contender that could actually win a game uh, for the first time in their history in the college football playoff because it's a different type of team where it's not just, hey, you shut down one aspect of the offense and make them one-dimensional like USC did. They said they, they you know, put the game in the quarterback's hands and, hey, the quarterback did well, but it wasn't good enough. But because USC shut down the run game, you know, Notre Dame's offense just couldn't keep up with, with Caleb Williams and what he was doing. So, uh, and then, you know, you had one turnover by the, the quarterback dropping the ball and suddenly the the game was completely different in that that, fina- that regular season finale for us. So, um, I, I think that Notre Dame could be sneaky, sneaky tough this season, even you know more so than people maybe initially will look at and think that Notre Dame is always a tough opponent for USC. No, absolutely, and that was kind of one of the points I made in my way too early predictions for this season is Sam Hartman, you know, the number one transfer quarterback for this cycle. And we clowned on the Fighting Irish early in their season when they were, you know, losing to Marshall and getting beat by Stanford and all that. Because what was their issue? They could not move the ball. They could not score points to go with that defense. Sam Hartman is going to put some points up for the Fighting Irish. They are going to move the ball much better in 2023. And that's why they could absolutely be a top 10 team going into this matchup. And USC as well, I expect them to be undefeated going to this game and we'll get into that when we break into the break down the schedule but yeah this has certainly has the argument and the legs to be argued as the toughest game on the schedule but for me I still have to go with the Ducks just slightly because I just think there's more there there'll be more hatred there'll be more uh just crowd intensity there not saying you know Notre Dame won't be but I'm just saying I think it's going to be a little bit the level is going to be kicked up a little bit more at Oregon so that's why I'm going with them and they have a really talented team you know they have a stock roster that was left over from Mario Cristobal they have a really good high school class coming in and they have a really good transfer class coming in so they're also just uh, they are also stacked with talent as well so just a tough opponent on the field and just the environment as well 
and both of those games, it should be pretty chilly as well. So uh, we'll see how USC handles the, you know, how Caleb Williams throws the coal. We haven't really seen that yet from him yet. So uh, I, I think there's there's going to be some challenges in the schedule for sure. And those two games definitely stand out because of being on the road. Now let's hit our final superlative before we run through the schedule just quickly. The now we know game, and it took us literally 30 minutes to come up with a name for the superlative, but this is the game where you go into it thinking, okay, this is where we're going to learn a lot about this team. This is where we're going to see their real strengths, their real weaknesses, and they're going to go back and learn from this game. And we're going to be able to tell, are they for real or are they not for real? I think last year that was the Utah game. I think that because, you know, just going through the first half of the schedule, not a lot of tests, but Utah on the road was going to tell us a lot about this team. And it told us that this team could hang, you know, it was a, 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 a narrow loss to them on the road in a tough environment. And we had a bunch of question marks about that defense. And it was the beginning of the end for that defense as it slowly tra- trajectory was going down. But we learned a lot in that game. And I, I think we have to identify what that game is on this 2023 slate. So Shotgun, I'll let you go first in what that game is for 2023. Yeah, the now we know what USC actually is. And, and that one was kind of a, it was hard to pinpoint this season. We thought it would be either that Utah or the Notre Dame games just to you know go on to, to see how they face a, a tough opponent. You know, it had been Stanford in the past. It was that early barometer. All right, how is it? Is this team tough? Is this team, can they stop anybody? Uh, you know, all those type things. And sometimes that Stanford game was a false barometer. Uh, but I think this season, it's the, the Utah game again. You know, I think even after Notre Dame, playing at Notre Dame, playing at Colorado ASU, you know, th- those can be some challenging things. But I think it will be Utah just because there's the psychological impact, too, of playing that Utah team again, the back-to-back Pac-12 champion. Okay, can you can you beat the champs is basically it. And that, I think we'll learn whether this team is capable of having, you know, if they're capable of going on a run those final three games of the regular season and being able to put it together, or if we're going to look at it and say they can't stop Utah again, they can't stop the physicality, Utah's kind of figured some things out defensively to slow down USC's attack, and then you see Washington, you see Oregon, you see UCLA try to implement all those same type of things against USC, and then the offenses that you see from Washington, Oregon, and USC not being able to slow down them potentially. I think that Utah game tells us a lot. Now, maybe it's the Notre Dame game before it. Maybe it's Arizona before it. There could be some different different choices here. But for me, I think I think we'll really know about this team after the Utah game. For sure. And I can agree with you all day. I could go into that game and think, yeah, this is going to be the one that really tells us where this team is mentally and physically, you know, the Utah having the psychological advantage of having beaten them twice last year, including the Pac-12 championship. And USC has had to stew in those losses for over a year and kind of had to think about that. So obviously that game is up there in terms of what we're going to learn about this team. But I would still kind of lean towards Notre Dame just because it is the first real test you're going to have on this schedule. Like I said, I expect them to be undefeated going to this game. So there's going to be a lot of hype around this game, assuming, you know, Notre Dame does what we think they're going to do with Sam Hartman now in quarterback, be kind of a top 10 team. So this is potentially 
a huge matchup in terms of, you know, national spotlight. Everyone, you know, saying, oh, is this a college football playoff kind of thing? So there could be a, the first real swirling of hype for USC as it enters this season, this back half of the season. And that's going to be a lot of them. You know, they're going to be talking about this game a lot. This is going to be a tough environment. This is a hard game to get to in terms of travel. So it's going to be very interesting and it's going to be cold. The elements are going to be against them. Everything's going to be against them. This is going to be a put up or shut up game. And we're really going to see what that defense looks like come, you know, October, November, and December. This is going to be the, the, the Alex Grinch litmus test. It's, Hey, we've had all this whole off season. You know, we, 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 you took a lot of L's seen a lot of people screaming about you being fired. We've got some better players in the portal. Yeah, you've got some teams on the schedule, but no, this is going to be the game where you're going to have to prove to us that this defense is not the defense from last season. Yeah, Arizona, you know, they can score. Colorado, they got some weapons in the portal, but no. Arizona State, you know, uh, Kenny Dillingham, OC Mine. Yeah, okay, that's fine. They don't have the talent yet. This is going to be the game where it's going to be like, all right, is this a championship caliber defense? This is going to be the game where they prove to us that they're ready for this this stretch or they're not ready for this stretch. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. It's going to be the defense's opportunity to prove a lot of people wrong or, you know, kind of maybe go into that cycle of what happened last year in the back half. Yeah, and it, it could. It could definitely go cascading downhill really fast, uh, similar to this year. You know, USC early in the season – was given up, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it was something like 17 points a game. And then the second half of the season, it was much more like 30-something. So, uh, you know, that's something that could happen again. Now, part of that was the turnovers and different things like that. But when you face tougher opponents, how are you going to be able to uh, make an adjustment? How are you going to stop teams? Um, or is it going to be a shootout every single game? I'm making it that much more difficult for him. So it, it could be the beginning of the end for Alex Grinch, or it could be, it's definitely his opportunity to show, all right, this is different from last season. This is not the same as last year. You know, we've, you know, I've been able to implement this defense for two years now. Uh, the players know it better. We got different talent, all those type things. So, uh, you know, I think that that definitely could be is a big game for Alex Grinch for sure. I think it's a now we know game for for Alex Grinch in the defense for sure. Uh, and, and the stat this year, I actually just found it was they allowed 18.7 points per game the first six games of the season. Second half of the game, twice as many. Twice as many, 37.1 points per game in the final eight games of the season. Now that's counting the Pac-12 championship and the bowl game as well. Uh, but six games, the first six games, really good. Second half of the season, not so much. Wolf is all I have to say at that. You know, you thought maybe it would be the opposite. You're hoping it was the opposite where you gave yeah, a lot that's of points early think. and then you Yeah. But I think I think that also showed, and we'll see, it'll be interesting in the second half of this season. Is USC's injury, the injury attrition last year showed they just didn't have the depth. Now, that's one of the big things they're working on this offseason with the transfer portal, with the big freshman class they have coming in, is adding talented depth so that when Eric Gentry goes down, when Shane Lee or Raylan Goforth has a broken hand, a broken thumb, hey, can you play somebody else that is talented enough to fill in for them? Or do you have to play someone who is injured? 
and is not going to be physically able to grasp someone with a tackle because they're playing with a cast. It makes it that much more difficult, more missed tackles. Or do you have talented guys that can step in? Is it a true next man up? Can you fill fill that void, or are you going to be hampered by one injury? If Caleb Williams goes down, do you have the pieces behind him? Do you have the pieces around him that can, hey, the run game can step up, and you can make it through a game against Cal or something like that? You know, Or are you just completely your offense shot because Caleb Williams isn't out there? On the defensive side, if you lose a edge rusher, do suddenly you no longer have any pass rush, or can someone step up? That was the big thing last year. And I think that's going to be something that will be found out for USC in that back half of the schedule because there will be some injuries. It'll be to a key player or two who can step up, or is it going to be something that de- de- debilitates or debilitates the entire team uh, to where you know they just can't play at the same level without one player at a specific spot? And that's why I think it's so important that they need to play young guys in the first half of that season. You know, get those guys in early so you can have those guys be able to have confidence and some experience to kind of step up in that back half when inevitably injuries are going to trip you up at some point. Yeah, I mean, where's John Davis? If he had the experience in in 2020, uh, 2021, I mean, uh, when USC was terrible, why did he not get some opportunities? And that's not on Lincoln Riley and their coaching staff. But can you blow teams out early in the season so that he gets – you know, he gets two drives each game in those early season early season games. When he when you play in uh Arizona, when you're playing Colorado, can you get him a couple drives then? So then all of a sudden now in the Notre Dame or UCLA game when someone has a broken hand or something, maybe you feel more confident putting him in there and you feel and he feels more confident to know where he's supposed to be and what gap he's supposed to be in, those type of things. It's it's one of those things that's been missing for sure for USC in the past that they've not been able to get those young guys experience. And then it adds on to itself when you can't play them early in the season because you can't blow somebody out. Then suddenly they get thrown in and they're not as good. Um, now we saw the wide receivers can step up. We've seen that still wasn't the same as having Jordan Addison out there and having Mario Williams. There were times where USC Caleb Williams had to do more um, because, and that's the thing. Caleb Williams stepped up and made it easier on Kyron Hudson on Michael Jackson, on those other guys and can, if if Caleb Williams goes down or someone else goes down, can someone else step up around them? That's what you really need. Obviously, your backups aren't going to be as good as your starters. If they are, then the coaches are making a mistake. But can someone else step up around them to help rally and make it so that you don't have a huge drop-off whenever you have one injury? Now, Shotgun, I think that we've talked enough about the now-we-know game. Let's run through the schedule as quickly as possible. Now, I, as I mentioned earlier, did a way-too-early game prediction of the schedule. Uh, That was up maybe 30 minutes after the schedule drop, had that ready. So I'm going to give this more to you in terms of your kind of predictions for this schedule, as mine are already up. But I'll I'll chime in when when things are going awry for you. Well, let's let you lead the discussion then. You tell why you made your pick on on the the way-too-early. Now, this is... We're stealing a little bit from our VIP content, but we'll give a little bit away today because it's scheduled day. Everyone's excited to know who we're playing next season. Right. I went 10 and two on my essential, uh, sorry, initial look at the schedule, mainly because I just don't know what the defense is yet. You know, they've gotten some better pieces. They've gotten a better high school class, but I just, 
it's just a big question mark for me. And those games where I think the defense has to be the X factor, the deciding factor, you know, we're not worried about Caleb Williams or that offense putting up points this season, even though, you know, U.S. defensive coordinators will have a full year to look at Caleb Williams in this USC offense. They'll have a whole year to study him. I just, I just don't, you just don't have any worry that they're going to put up points. All the weapons that they're bringing in, they're stocked again on the offensive side of the ball. It's just the defense, you know, will the defense step up in these big games? USC has enough offense to pull out some wins, even in those tougher games in the back half of the schedule. But the defense needs to make plays. And right now, I just don't know if they're there yet. You know, they have some guys coming in. They're going to certainly change some things. They need some more guys on the defensive front. They're in the right direction. But right now, I'm just going with the defense not being what it needs to be for some of their big games on the schedule. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I don't think we'll find out too much about that defense early in the season. San Jose State, uh, Brett Brennan was the big name in 2020, you know, coming off the COVID season. And USC, you know, kind of humbled them 30-7. to It could have been a lot worse, uh, you know, if USC didn't play Helton that game and play pretty close in the opener, as they always do. So USC needs to pull away and do what they did to Rice this season. That's what you want to see in that opener. They should take care of business in that one. Same thing the next week with, with uh, Nevada, Nevada, however they want to say it. They, they Reno is getting beat in this one. USC, the last time they faced, according to Chris Trevino's way too early predictions, USC won 66 to nothing. Chris, were you at that game? I think so. You I were? think so. In 1929? <laughs> I write so many dates. 1929, yes. my uh, An iteration of me was there in some, some capacity. <laughs> uh, you, you mixed up your numbers there. I think uh, you thought it was 2019. No, the, the last time they played was a long, long time ago, but USC should roll through this one. That should, should add another big-time win in this one. Stanford, same thing. New head coach in Troy Taylor. Uh, Nevada has a new head coach or second-year head coach, Ken Wilson, and we're 2-10 and 10 last year. Roll through that one. Should roll through Stanford again. Shouldn't be, really be a litmus test for them early in the season. If it is, that probably says more about Stanford than it does about USC. That hey, maybe Stanford can you know makes a little bit of waves this year in their first year um, outside of uh, past David Shaw. But I just don't think there's a ton of talent on that roster right now. They've got to keep working on that, especially with the transfers they had out after the season. USC then gets a buy. Now, Chris, we haven't really given away the story that we've been told from USC's side about why there is a week zero game and why there is a week three bye. USC is the only Pac-12 team to have a week zero game. Now, if you heard the rumors, uh, Deion Sanders telling Kirk Herbstreit and him unveiling that, hey, they were going to play Arizona State in the week zero game. That waiver to play that game got denied. So the USC playing San Jose State is the only team to get a waiver to play in week zero. They'll play San Jose State a week before. They'll play in August. That's still weird to say that they'll play an August game. That means that fall camp will be a week earlier. So USC season will be a week longer than anybody else's, which means, hey, they get a jump start, right? It also means at the end of the year, they will be have, have been going for an extra week longer than everybody else, which is why they get that extra buy in there. Now, USC did that because originally it looked like the schedule was going to be 12 straight weeks again. 
They were going to have that bye at the end of the season. And this is a product of the Notre Dame game because USC plays the Notre Dame game at a certain time every year in the middle of October when they play at Notre Dame, the final game uh, when they play at the Coliseum. Because of that, it makes the schedule that much more difficult. Uh, we've been told that the Pac-12 works with USC diligently to try to make it make everything uh, accessible for them. But it was going to be 12 straight weeks for USC, just like it was, I don't know, 2017, 2018, whatever it was uh, when USC had that. And then they had the bye before the championship game again. They were going to have that. Instead, USC's administration said, let's change that. Let's work with San Jose State to create a week zero game so that th therefore, you know, USC can start early and have a bye in week three because otherwise USC normally would be playing a non-conference game to open the season, playing Stanford in week two, and then playing a non-conference game again. So instead, instead of that San Jose State game being week three, they moved it to week zero to give them that extra bye. They got the waiver approved for that. So USC's give credit to the administration for looking ahead, realizing, uh-uh, this, this crap ain't going to work. We can't be doing this 12 games in a row. And nine games in a row is going to be really tough. But having that bye week going into their, you know, their first conference road game, not a bad thing for them there. So, you know, the fact that they'll be able to heal up a little bit from those first three weeks, assess what's worked, what hasn't worked against those opening teams, and kind of get a re reassessment of the players they're playing. So I think it's an interesting time for a bye so early in the season, but it gives USC an opportunity to, to kind of reassess some things before they go on that long stretch of nine games in a row, which is pretty tough. Uh, it's still, it's not, but it's better than 12 games in a row. Now there's a couple of teams, uh, I believe it's Washington State and maybe UCLA that in the season with eight consecutive conference games. So that's going to be tough for them. USC is going to have that nine game stretch, eight conference games and Notre Dame. So we'll see how that bye week kind of, you know, how USC uses that bye week and what changes we see after the bye week. This past year, it seemed like the bye week was more of a, Hey, let's just heal up. Let's heal up. Make sure we get everybody healthy after that Utah game rather than any really wholesale changes. But this early in the season, maybe you see some differences in who gets playing time and those type of things going forward. Then USC goes on the road. Back-to-back -back weeks, they're going to go to Arizona State and to Colorado. Both of those teams have first-year head coaches. Both of those teams don't have a ton of talent. USC should be able to win both of those games handily. Now, do they take care of business? That's the big thing. These are opportunities. Those first five games are all opportunities where your reserves should get some playing time, whether that's you're rotating them in or whether you're, you know, you just blow them out in the fourth quarter, you're getting playing time for the backups, second and third string guys because you're up by so much. All five of those games have opportunities for it. Now, how well this team does in that not that final not that final stretch of six games could be determined by that. You know, can you build quality depth there in those first five games? Guys like Tackett Curtis. I don't think Tackett Curtis is a first day is a day one starter. I think he's really good. But he's going to need some time, some seasoning. Now, can he get some playing time in those first five games? And then, hey, if somebody goes down against Washington, can you throw Tackett Curtis in there? Is he ready to go against Michael Penix in that offensive attack? Those are the type of things that you have to the, – the best programs, the national championship programs, the Georgia's, the Alabama's, that they do really well. 
They take care of business against the teams they got to take care of business against so that everyone gets some playing time. So your reserves, once they start their first game, it's not their first action. It's the, you know, it's game 15 for them. It's game 10 or 12 or whatever it may be. They played enough earlier that it's not getting adjusted to the speed of the game. They're, they're, they're getting adjusted to starting, not getting adjusted to the speed of playing college football. So those first five games should be easily be a five and zero, oh, take care of business and how well they take care of business could determine some things later on in the schedule. So that's one of those five games are still very important for USC to be focused, to be locked in, to take care uh, of, uh, you know, everything they need to do so that you could one build some, build some Caleb Williams Heisman stats as well and Absolutely. build up, build some extra, extra depth. Then we get into the meat of the schedule. USC week six will host Arizona on Friday or Saturday. I think USC is still pushing to get that game on Saturday. I think you would rather have it on Saturday. But if it is on Friday, the one advantage of that is, hey, you go to Notre Dame the next week, so you get an extra day of rest before starting this gauntlet schedule that you have. So I, I, it's interesting to see that USC is pushing for that Saturday because, hey, they want, the, they want the crowd, they want everything else. You don't like those Friday night games in L.A., but I, I think that it could be an ad, advantageous for the rest of the season if it actually is on Friday and they can take care of business. Now, Arizona coming into that game, Arizona plays Washington the week before, so it's not like that they're going to be able to rest a bunch of people or anything uh, leading up to it so that, you know, that the buy or the the – one last day would benefit them in any way either. So if USC takes care of good business against Colorado, they can be benefited because Arizona's not going to be arrest anybody. Then we start the true gauntlet. Six weeks, five ranked opponents more than likely. I think UCLA can be in there. We'll see. Four, four for sure. We'll see if UCLA sure. with Dante Moore, where they're at. I think adding Kyle Ford, adding J. Michael Sturdivant, uh, you know, I just think they have weapons on the offensive side that still be good, even with a freshman quarterback. And I think he's really good. I think he's going to be a dude for them. So we'll see how how well he develops as the season progresses. If they can be a ranked team. So four out of six, at least, we figure will be ranked teams. Starts with going to Notre Dame. Touchdown, Jesus. Chris, get excited. It's going to be fun. Make sure you bring your layers. It's going to be cold. It always is cold, even if it's only the, the second week of October. It's still going to be cold. So we'll see how USC does against Notre Dame. You, I, I think you have them pegged for a loss here. Is that correct? I do. I do have it. I have it as a close loss, but I have it as a loss nonetheless. I have USC going to Notre Dame and getting the win. You know, USC, you I, 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 it's been at least six years. I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's probably eight years, probably since the last time they won at Notre Dame. I mean, uh, you know, there's been several quarterbacks that have played at Notre Dame and not fared well. I think Caleb Williams and his, his lone opportunity to play at Notre Dame is going to uh, excel and lead them to victory because I think he steps up in some of the biggest games. So I think that was going to be a really fun one, but I think USC gets the win there. They come back home to play Utah. What can the, what can the Trojans do? against the Utes. Does Utah have their number? Does Kyle Willingham have the the number of, of Lincoln Riley? You know, have they figured some things out? Is it just Cam Rising? Cam Rising has been the difference maker for them. When he when he, he can run uh, and pick up extra yards with his legs, their offense is on a completely different plane than it is when he just has to sit in the pocket and throw. So Cam Rising, I think, determines that one. How well he plays, can USC slow him down? 
I think that, that it's troubling to think that USC could lose to Utah again, but this was going to be this might be another two point conversion game. I, I think you're, you think it's a, another. You think it's going to be another down to the wire kind of deal? Exactly. I mean, you're looking at this, and you know, twice Utah has gone for two point conversions: once at the Coliseum, once at Rice Eccles. Do they try it again if it's a close game? You know, the, when at the Coliseum, USC was able to stuff that two point conversion and get the win uh, under Clancy Pendergrass's defense. Can Alex Grinch get some redemption? That'll be a big, big question in this one. I'm not ready to pick this one just yet. Uh, I, I think that if I was going to make a pick, I would think USC would win at home, but it's so far away and the injuries are going to play a big part in this, I think, just as they did in the Pac 12 championship game. All right, USC goes to Cal. They lost there the last time. Lincoln Riley's first game as head coach, kind of, was when USC played at Cal last time. Uh, obviously, he had taken over, been hired, but did not coach that game. Uh, USC went up there with a skeleton roster, 50-something players, 40-something scholarship players. I can't remember what it was off the top of my head, but it was not many because some players decided not to play. A lot of injuries at the end of the season. It was the COVID game. It was weird. Uh, I had I ran a... Like a 104 fever, I feel like that night. I slept in a, I slept in my peacoat, in in our uh, Airbnb that we were staying at. We were, we witnessed a shootout on a bridge. You know, all kinds of stuff happened on that trip. So wild I think trip. I think it's gonna be a little bit less eventful this time. USC takes care of business against Cal, um, and you know, hopefully they can slow down the offense, Cal, unlike they were able to last year. But could it be a trap game going on the road? All those type things. We'll see. USC plays Washington at home. This is where I think they they suffer the loss. I think that Washington's offense is going to be one that unless USC's defense takes some big steps forward, I think this could be a game that that USC loses at home. Uh, Even though they're playing at home, I think the offense, Kalen DeBoer, uh, what, what he's been able to do with Penix there, I think they're only going to get better in year two. So that's the game I've got circled for USC that could be the one that, you know, is the, is the loss for them there. Now, can they take care of business the last two games going into the Pac-12 championship? Because if they're if they're eleven and one with the schedule they're going to play, and they and they win the Pac-12 championship, they're in the. I think if they're eleven and one, I think they're in the top four going into the in the Pac-12 championship again. You know, similar to the last season, they'd be like, hey, as long as you win the Pac-12 championship, you're in the playoff. So I, I think that going to Austin Stadium will have all of the everything riding on it. And I think that USC will bounce back from a loss against Washington and play really well at Austin and get a win there. Then they'll take care of business against UCLA just because you're playing a freshman quarterback. He'll make one or two mistakes that Caleb Williams won't. USC goes 11-1, and goes to the Pac-12 championship. Who they face there could determine how that game goes. Uh, so I think USC's right in the mix, even though with a ridiculous schedule at the back half, they could be right in the mix for college football playoff again under uh, Lincoln Riley. And if they take care of business in the Pac-12 championship, if they make it there, obviously, then they will be in there. If they make, if they win the Pac-12 championship, I think that they'll win, that they'll make it into the college football playoff. Um, even though, you know, Notre Dame could be a loss and they lose a conference game and still make it, all those type things. There's a lot of things at play, but I'm going with my way too early, way too early, guys. This is way too early to be making a prediction. But 11-1, Make it to the Pac-12 championship game, and we'll see who they play there. Well, you didn't pick Utah. I said they went 11 and one and lost to Washington, Chris. There, go. So, ahead. well, make make of it what you will. So, road games at Notre Dame and Oregon, shotgun going down big 
for the Trojans in 2023. I just have that much confidence in Caleb Williams. Like, I think he's going to take another step next next season. Remember, he's he's young for his, his age. I mean, he's he's only played a certain amount, what, uh, eight, 16, 17 games now, something like that. He's still almost a baby. Like, and I'm sold. I got sold really hard by listening to Matt Leiner and Carson Palmer talk about him. Because Carson Palmer has just basically told me, he's like, there's nothing he can't do. He said there's very few guys in the NFL that there's nothing they can't do. He's in that class of quarterbacks. He's still got to get better and better to be a Mahomes or a Josh Allen or anyone in that uh, that upper echelon. But he has the skill set to be able to do all those things. So if they can keep him healthy, offensive line is definitely going to be a question mark. The defense, hey, they got to stop somebody every once in a while. But I just think Caleb Williams is going to take even another step forward, and you know he's going to be able to lead them in any close game. He's going to be you know their talisman. He's going to be the guy they put the ball in his hands and you know go make something happen. Okay, that shotgun doing his thing and running through the schedule. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back. We have some questions to run through, and then we're going to wrap up this podcast. Shotgun, does that sound good? Sounds good, sir. Let's make it happen. All right. All right, we'll be right back after this break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we're back after that quick commercial break. Shotgun, we, as always on a Healing Boys podcast, do a last-minute question tweet on social media. It's always very, very by the uh, on the what is it? The the cuff of our whatever I'm trying to say. We do it at the last minute is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so shotgun, can you give us some questions that we have to answer to wrap up this podcast? Well, before we get to the the questions that were submitted by users, Chris, I wanted to get your thoughts. You know, looking at the non-conference games that the Pac-12 is going to play, the Pac-12, you know, all last season had what was it, six six teams in the top 25 throughout the back half of the schedule. The the Pac-12 could be in contention for the conference in the country when you think of the quarterbacks that are in this conference um, and if they take care of business in the non-conference. So looking at some of the non-conference games, which one is the most intriguing to you outside of the USC-Notre Dame game? I'm going to eliminate that one so you can't pick it. Uh, obviously, that one's always intriguing no matter what the is at stake. But what about the other non-conference games in the Pac-12? Which one's the most intriguing to you? I can only pick one, is what you're saying. I'm just looking at it. I mean, if you want to pick one or two, a couple, that's fine. But let's let's try to focus on one at least. 
Okay, well, my first like gut reaction one is Colorado, Nebraska, just because I think that's a fun matchup. That's two first-year head coaches, high-profile head coaches, and Deion Sanders and Matt Rule, you know, taking over a story Nebraska program. A lot of juice around both programs, what I'm saying. So each of these guys would love a big win here in September with I'm sure it's going to be a nationally hyped game just with all those storylines. Colorado does have some talent coming in. They don't have enough talent across the board, but they got the number one overall transfer transfer portal guy, Travis Hunter, who's just a dynamic game game changer on both sides of the ball. And Shadar, Shador, Sanders, Shador, the, Shador Sanders, uh, Dion's son, who's a quarterback, a pretty talented quarterback at who at the uh, you know the HBCU level, and excited to see what he does in a Power Five team and in the Pac-12. So. That one right there is the one that kind of jumps off the screen to me. And then another one, Utah at Baylor seems like a fun one. Just two physical physical teams, two hard-nosed coaches, and Dave Aranda and uh, Kyle Winningham. I think that could be a really fun one out there in the Texas-Waco area. So those are kind of the ones that jump off the screen to me initially. To me, the first one is the one that catches my eye. Because think about what Utah could have done this year if they would have beaten Florida. They are right there when they're playing the Pac-12 championship. They're right there in the mix to be in the college football playoff. Maybe they end up five or six, but they would definitely be right there in the in the conversation. Instead, they lost to Florida because of a terrible interception late when you could have tied the game with a field goal. Um, so I think that one, the fact that they get them at Rice-Eccles, I think they need to make a statement, not just win, but make a statement against a Florida team that isn't going to have a quarterback or is bringing in a new quarterback at least, is having issues with the whole NIL thing with Jaden Rashada and that whole thing. They're they're not winning the offseason right now at least. Um, so they, they lost almost all their offensive line. You know, even they, they had a couple guys that were leaving already and then you lose Tarquin. Ethan White is in the transfer portal. So, you know, I think that they are ripe to be beaten handily, similar to what Oregon State did to Florida in the in the bowl game. But make a statement early, you know, and that could be a Thursday night game. You know, that's a flex game as well. It's either Thursday or Saturday. But I would like to see Utah make a statement in that game. So that one definitely stood out to me. Um, I, I think that Arizona at Mississippi State, just without Mike Leach, doesn't have the same hype to it, but it could be a fun game uh, because I think both of those have good offenses and not much defense. So that one as well. And then also, you know, can Washington State beat Wisconsin again? This is the first time a Power 5 opponent has, has is traveling to the Palouse since I think they said 1998. Now i got I to research this one to look it up. But I think it's 1990. Like that's that's crazy to me. A non-conference opponent, Power Five, traveling to Pullman, is so that place should be going bananas. Absolutely absurd. So I'm curious to see how the Cougars do there. Obviously, they're facing a new coach at uh, at Wisconsin. So you know, Cam Ward's second year. You know, they they got a lot of pieces back. Can they they make something of it? Washington State could be a sneaky good team this year as well. So those are a couple of games that I'm definitely checking out as well. Chris, on the question side, we got to start with, you know, there's high expectations, high-profile matchups against Utah, Washington, UCLA. Do we finally get a sold-out Coliseum for the first time? I think so. I think there will be a sellout this year. 
I think there'll be multiple sellouts this year. You know, you have a returning Heisman winner. You have a Heisman winner in the Coliseum. Go see a Heisman winner. I think there's going to be a big fan draw in that regard alone. But what USC did last season, you know, 11 and 3, turning the program around from four wins, there'll definitely be an, a bigger uptick in fan the fan base, you know, more tailgating, more excitement for the year. Definitely think there's going to be multiple sellouts uh, in the Coliseum. It would be awesome if they sold out the San Jose State game. Like, just mm-hmm. to see that, you know, that uh, that cherishment of the program again, to see the, the support behind them when you win it, you know, win the Heisman Trophy. Now, I don't know if it'll happen, maybe because of the Alex Grinch situation or whatever it may be. People always find it's an excuse. Be hot. It's going to be hot. Oh, it's going to be hot. Oh, there's this excuse or that excuse. Oh, it's week zero. I'm not ready for college football. Whatever. It is. Get out to the game. Let's go. You know, I want to see people out there. You know, we love the atmosphere. We're covering it down the field. We want it, We want it to be completely hyped. We want it to be like Corvallis. We want it to be, you know, angry there at times, you know, from the student section, whatever it may be. That, like when we go to an away game, we want that. So we want to see people out there at the Coliseum as well. So hopefully, I would hope it would happen in week one. I don't think it will. Or week zero, excuse me. But, uh, you know, hopefully in that those back half, those final three games, you get all three would be sellouts, you know. Definitely could be, you know, should be with the potential of what could be on the line in those games. But we'll see. We'll see. Unfortunately, that hasn't been the case recently. Um, you know, even with the smaller, um, you know, smaller capacity, they just haven't really sold out. So, you know, I, I think that they'll give them a lot of reasons to want to be out there. It should be a fun offense again. And hopefully the defense takes some steps forward. So get out to get out and support the Trojans, guys. Get out and support the, those players. They deserve the the opportunity to play in front of a packed house. Couple of questions left. Cam wanted to know Oregon, Washington back to back. Do you think they'll be favored in either of those games? Washington at home, Oregon on the road. I think they'll be road dogs for Oregon, and I think they'll be slightly favored for the Washington game. Yeah, and I don't think either one of those, the spread's going to be very big, but I completely agree with you, Chris. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be pretty low spreads, and it might even be swung by a specific injury here or there. You know, like we yeah. saw that Bo Nix uh, against, was it Utah, when the, the spread completely swung when it was uh, determined that he was not going to be able to play in that game. So we'll see. Tanner said, we absolutely better make the Pac-12 championship game again. They even build in a bye week for us to prepare. I bet that last Saturday, the bye, every USC fan will be watching Oregon, Utah, Washington, UCLA to see who we play, if we play, um, which is true. So, Chris, what will you be doing? There was no question here from from Tanner, but uh, I'm going to ask you, Chris, what will you be doing on that Saturday? Will you be multi-screening it to see if USC gets in or who they play? Or will you be like, this is my last chance to have a bye week. I'm exhausted from nine weeks in a row. I'm going skiing or whatever it may be the latter but i'm not going skiing but on those (laughs) bye weeks or those those like the saturday after a friday game it's so nice to just be able to like decompress not have to worry about getting to the stadium or preparing for a game or anything like that so the first half of that day is just like doing whatever i want and whatever i want is nothing and then in the back half is when i start to kind of look around at what the games are going on, what's the schedule looking like, not what it's looking like, but what are the games shaping up to be? Who's up early? Who's down early? Who's in a head-to-head matchup? Who's in a tight game? 
then by the evening, I start to really settle in to see what's going on and kind of look at it. Okay, this is what's going to happen in Vegas. Yeah, so very similar this year. USC knew they were going to be in, and they were waiting to see who their opponent was going to be while obviously having a big game against Notre Dame at the same time. This will be a little bit different. Chris, how do you think that bye week affects USC if they do get in the in the Pac-12 championship game? You know, we saw this a few years back where USC had it similar, where there was a bye week going into the Pac-12 championship. How is that a good thing for USC? Is that a bad thing that they have to play those nine games? How do you look at the schedule with those two bye weeks and the fact that there is one right before the championship? Specifically for the championship, uh, we're going to the championship bye week. I think it's a benefit. You know, I do think there's maybe not necessarily rust, but you do, you know, lose a little bit. You're going so hard for nine weeks straight. I think it's more important that you get the rest. I think it's more important that you can kind of take a step back, breathe a little bit, get healthy. Health is the most important thing at that point in the season. We saw that in the championship game with, you know, Andrew Andrew Voorhees not being 100% right for that game. We saw how much that could be critical. Not saying an extra bye week probably would have uh, allowed him to play in that game, but it would have been closer, I feel like. So, Health is always the important thing at that point in the season. So I think you you absolutely love to have that bye week just to, you know, an extra week of scouting, extra week of preparing. But the rest is overall is the, the most important thing. Yeah, you see how impactful one injury can be when you look at the college football playoff. You know, some of those uh, Jamison Williams going down for Alabama against Georgia in the, in the championship game or uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. going down against Georgia in, for Ohio State. Like how what impact did those those injuries have? So, you know, get, getting that extra week of rest and also another chance for those young guys to potentially prove themselves and practice to the coaches and say, hey, I'm ready to go. So if someone does go down in a game, they can step in and be ready for those type of things. Final question we had. Uh, Troy want to know, aside from just generally overlooking their opponents, will this team, USC, face any real challenges prior to Notre Dame? You know, we talked about the Arizona game being kind of a trap game. I think they have talent and they're in a in a place with Jed Fish where they could, you know, maybe surprise some teams this year in year three for them. But just another another team I'm going to throw out there for the first half of the schedule, Colorado. Now, Colorado, as we talked about, does not have the talent across the board to maybe compete with some of the, the teams they'll face this season. And Colorado will be coming off a tough road game against Oregon going to this USC game. So there's a chance that they're beaten up a little bit. But I would just say USC has struggled at times at Folsom Field. Colorado, that stadium, can get really rocking. And I think with Deion Sanders, I think there'll be a little bit of juice in the first half of the season for Colorado. And, you know, Travis Hunter, dynamic playmaker, number one player in the transfer portal. They have a dynamic quarterback. I just think there's some things that maybe they can give USC some fits here on the road. But in in the long run, I think USC wins this one uh, convincingly. But I'm just saying the Buffs could be scrappy in this game on the road you know, with some with with some big time transfer infusions, not across the board, but just some big names in general. That's interesting that you say that, Chris. I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think anyone's going to really challenge them except maybe Arizona. And I'll tell you why on Colorado. Maybe they have some, you know, talent. They still have, there's another window of transfer portal entry. Today's the last day, obviously, for this window. There's another one after spring ball. So maybe someone else goes in there and they get some other more talent. Their schedule the first five weeks is a gauntlet. 
Now they start with defending national champion runner up TCU. TCU, I, I feel like, you know, they're going to want to make a statement in that opening game after what just happened to them against Georgia. Then they play Nebraska. Then, you know, uh, they have that at home game. So that should be interesting. Old, big, uh, big uh, 12 matchup there. Nebraska, Colorado used to be a big rivalry. Colorado State is an actual rival there. Colorado State's not a pushover. I don't think that that'll be too much trouble for Colorado. I think they should get a win there. But then they play Oregon on the road, and then they host USC. So I think that five-game slate, by the time they get to USC, I feel like they're going to be you know, either beaten down because they're one and three or, you know, or just beaten up because they've had to play tough games, at least three of those four games coming in. So I don't think Colorado will be that big of a challenge for USC, either, but we'll see. It should be fun. We finally have a schedule. We know who USC is going to play. We'll know who, who Caleb Williams will face, when he will face them in his final season at USC. I'm going ahead and go ahead and say that one. Uh, the Heisman Trophy winner will not be back after next season. So get out to the Coliseum. Get out on the road. Come enjoy uh, so, some USC football on the on the road as well. Maybe we'll see you there. You know, maybe we'll see you the night before. Maybe we'll see you at a barcade. Who knows? Like in Salt Lake City, we'll run into some USC fans. It should be fun. It should be a fun season once again. Um, and, you know, maybe it all ends in Las Vegas for USC for a second time. But this time, they'll have a bye week leading into it. Yeah, I hope we can go back to Vegas. That was a fun time. Outside of the game, everything was fun leading up to it. I'm excited to see Notre Dame. Excited to go to Autzen and get ridiculed by a bunch of Oregon fans. I'm excited for it all. And I'm excited to I'll get to see Shotgun, my buddy, partner in crime. Helium Boys reunited for 2023. We'll see how many go- games he goes to in the first half of the season. Uh, I expect him to be at every game in the back half of the season. So, yeah, that'll be a fun thing to track as we move into 2023 football, USC football, Shotgun. USC football, uscfootball.com will have you guys covered throughout the entirety of it obviously we're looking to see what happens in the transfer portal as we continue to move forward we'll see what happens with a couple of those top end 2023 recruits we've obviously got ryan out in hawaii with uh, five-star jared out there uh, covering the polynesian bowl where there's a couple big time targets for usc still on the market that usc is trying to close with before the february signing date so make sure you guys stay locked in to uscfootball.com for all the latest, the greatest, the best, and Chris. And me, and Shotgun, and all of us. <laughs> so thank you. We are the Helium Boys. This is the Paris Podcast. Ryan will be back at some point, or if he ever comes back from Hawaii, I don't know. But until next time, you can check out usfootball.com. Thank you again to Trader Joe's, our sponsor, and we will catch you next time. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.